0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Go. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, Real Boats Rock. Venue Church Air already... Shoot, that was funny. We might do that on Christmas Eve. You're coming to Christmas Eve? Four people are coming to Christmas Eve. Oh, Gold Frankenstein and Myrrh. Did you see that? Diapers, wet wipes, things that we bring Jesus at Christmas time, things that maybe we don't need to bring Jesus at Christmas time. You know, I think at Christmas time, as we start our new series, In On It, we, we sort of miss, I think, the wonder of it all because we're so smart and we're all adults and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've called this series In On It because I was originally going to spin it from the point of view of like In On It like God was in on it in your life. God was in on it with the human race, but then I realized that's not really the problem. He was always in on it. The problem is that we weren't in on it, and as we study through, I've, I've called this sermon uh, the prophecies. As we study through some of the prophecies announcing the coming of Christ, you will see that he was always in on it, but the prophecies existed to get you in on it and to prepare the human race for Christ. Listen, 700 years before Christ, In Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 1, Nevertheless, Isaiah the prophet pens, we believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Galilee of the Gentiles, like Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and they had to tell you where it was because it was a no-account place even here. 700 years before. How do you know that Galilee still going to exist? Do you remember one of Jesus' disciples? If you didn't grow up in church, I'll give you a little bit of background. One of Jesus' disciples came and they said, he's from Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come from Galilee? 700 years before. If humankind came up with a prophecy like that, well, it's difficult. Why the intentionality of God? It says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. See, the, the beauty about prophecy is that it could be applied then, but it could be applied now to you. And so whatever darkness you might be facing, Christmas time isn't amazing if you have a family. But some of us don't. It's amazing if you have work and some of us don't. It's amazing if your life is amazing, but some of us, our lives are not amazing at Christmas time. and people are, It can be the loneliest time of year. You might dwell, feel like you dwell in darkness and, well, this series is going to be perfect for you. You might also feel like your life is insignificant, like Galilee. You have, actually have to, somebody, God would have to give a roadmap for somebody to find you in your problem. In your, you're not insignificant and, and you're going to see just how you matter to Christ. It says you will enlarge the nation of Israel. And as people will rejoice, Isaiah says, They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. You will break somebody's coming in weighted down with their sin or an addiction and, and the promise to you this Christmas is that God can and will break the power of that thing over your life. As only he can do. Verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. A direct prophecy about the Christ. The government will rest on his shoulders. At the time they took it a certain way. But the prophecies were per- to prepare you for how Jesus truly was going to come. The government will rest upon his. How about the government of your life? will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with justice, with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David through all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I've got kind of a special sermon, I think, from the Holy Spirit that's going to speak to everyone. No matter where you come from, no matter what you're facing in your life, I feel like it's going to be a word of encouragement to you today, that you are significant and you do matter to, to God. Has anyone ever tried to prepare you for something that was coming that you hadn't experienced yet, but you thought that you knew what it was going to look like and what it was going to feel like? You thought that you knew what marriage was going to look like until you got married. And you found out you weren't that smart. Um, Everybody thinks they're going to be a brilliant parent until they have kids, and then you find out that most of it's ad-libbed, and you're just kind of working your way through it and trying not to mess them up as much as possible. Has anybody tried to prepare you? Have you ever tried to prepare somebody for something that was coming that they hadn't experienced? If somebody has ever done a, a startup of a business, and they're, they're all optimistic, and you're like, oh, I've tried that in that field, and somebody, um, I was talking to somebody today, they're, they're thinking of planting a church next year, and I'm like, oh, the things I could tell you. Oh, you think, oh yeah, you think it's going to be all easy and it's going to oh, all the things I could tell you about doing a church startup. The, the, the questions you don't even know to ask. I think sometimes you're, you're if you have ever spoken to God or asked God for something or prayed, sometimes the reason your prayers don't get answers is because you don't even know the right prayers to pray. You're asking God for these things over here and God's like, well, actually, I've got so much more. You don't even know what to, you're not even ordering what's on the menu because your menu is so tiny. You just eat hamburgers all the time. That's all you know to order. Like, God, make all the conflict in my life go away. And God's like, huh, that could, but what about your neighbor? And I could, but what about your, and what about progress? And what about growth? And what about meaning and purpose and life? And you think you know, (laughs) but you don't really know. Um, We created Venue Church to help you connect with God and to help you connect with people. Real God and real people. That's why what we do is kind of, we say the word real. Real conversations, authentic, honest, truth. But did you know that connection takes adaptation? So it's not just a matter of me trying to communicate to you because everybody's filter is different. By the Holy Spirit, I need to work very hard at trying to get into your filter. You don't just say something to your three-year-old daughter. It has to go through their ears. They have to hear it in a way that helps them. And what we do sometimes is we try to get everybody to adapt to us so that we can go and do the next thing quicker. And we don't have to take the time, but, but in, with my daughters even, you know, uh, as I'm, conne- my connection takes adaptation. I have to adapt myself to the hearers. If you don't have the relationships that you want, you have to adapt yourself to the hearers in a way that they can actually hear you. So when I talk to Arwen, it's different than when I talk to Eilish. And I'm the Eilish whisperer in our home. But I know that this one's going to take more time than this one, and I'll have to dissemble myself into a different emotional place to to connect. And what we do at Christmas time is we try to get God to adapt himself to us even more. One of our venue codes is that we believe in Jesus as he is, not as we would like him to be. If you take Jesus as he is, he can be everything to you. He can be Lord and Savior and transform your life. But if you try to change him into your likeness... You will have a God as small as you, who can't save you from your sin, who can't get you unaddicted from that one thing that you just can't seem to, who can't change your defaults. But the prophecies, maybe the prophecies were written to help you adapt, to help the human race adapt to a different view of God than they had known before. Have you ever tried to prepare, to, uh, have you ever tried to prepare somebody to meet somebody else in person? You can look at them online, but in person. Have you ever prepared somebody to meet somebody in person? It's different, right? It's different. Um, I used to work in the trades, and we were doing this uh, hotel and pool one time. And this short little, uh, uh, he was a a tiler. You know, like he put tiles. I feel like I should have been getting a little more back from (laughs) y'all. He used, to, he used to put tiles on floors, and, and he was uh, upset because the drain, one of the mechanical guys had put the drain, and he figured that the drain was too high, and so he was going to talk to the mechanical guy, but I knew the mechanical guy, and this guy was, this, this Tyler was about five feet uh, tall, and his name wasn't Tyler, but he was a Tyler, and his, he was about five feet tall and had this kind of hot little temper, and he was a feisty little guy. He had, he had little man syndrome. And so... But the, the problem is the problem is that Brian, the, the name of the mechanical guy, Brian was a massive guy. And Brian used to party with heavy metal bands. And he was rough. And I mean, he finally, he finally said that he needed to stop. He realized he needed to stop drinking and get off drugs when he came to himself at 2 in the morning running naked down the Alaska Highway. <laughs> Brian had been through it all. He had had a hard upbringing. And, and I knew him. And I, and I love Brian. And uh, But he was the sort of guy that you kind of wish was with you in a dark alley, but who wasn't waiting for you in the dark alley. You know what I mean? Like, you meet me, and you're not physically intimidated by somebody like me. You're just not like, I'm scared of him. He's dangerous. Nobody feels like that. But when I would meet a guy like Brian, I'm like, this guy could mess me up. This guy's big. And this little guy, he comes over, and he's venting on me about how the, you know, the mechanical guy doesn't know what he's doing, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and when's a when is the plumber coming back? And I'm like, well, he's coming back in 10 minutes, but I wouldn't talk to him like that. And he goes, I'll talk to him however I want to. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So Brian comes in and it's across like the, I think it was maybe a pool area or water side or something. And he comes in and Brian comes in and you can see he's talking with one of his guys, but Brian's a big guy. And and Brian's, I loved him. He was honest and he was, but like, again, not the guy you want to make an enemy of. And he comes in and and this guy yells from me, you know how things uh, in, in the mirrors look further than they really are? They look smaller than they really are. And Brian is over there in all of Brian's size, but because the room was big, and he yells across this other guy, yells across, Hey, are you the plumber? I need to talk to you. And when, when people like me move, because we're small, we have to move fast to survive. So everything I do is fast, I talk fast, I, you know, you just got to be, it's survival, right? When you're Brian's size, you don't need to move real fast. When your head is the size of a lion's head. And I see the lion's head just slowly. And Brian, you know, marches majestically. I've never done that. Marches majestically over to talk to the tiling guy. And I noticed something uh, changed very quickly The closer he got, it was more like, please sir, yes sir, no sir, anything I can do for you, sir. See, I tried to prepare him to meet Brian in person because Brian on a piece of paper was quite different than Brian in person. And we find the world in this state hundreds of years before Christ came when so many of the prophecies were spoken. There's some 800 or 2,000 prophecies in scripture. Now, the thing about a biblical prophecy, for it to be considered a biblical prophecy, 100% of them have to come true. That's how accurate God is. If God is who he says he is and God is truth, then every prophecy has to be fulfilled. And we find some 300 prophecies fulfilled in the life of Christ. But what were they for? And I got thinking about this, and, I, and I, I was thinking, and maybe you could tell me if you agree with this—that maybe the prophecies. See, everybody thought they knew a piece of God, and they sort of did. But if you read through the Old Testament, or you—you you feel like God can be a little like unapproachable. Am I right? You know, you read through the Old—like God is a bit unapproachable, and there's not kind of this human-to-you know connection. Maybe he seems like he's kind of angry or just or there's this other side of him. And so what we find in the prophecies here is that God is trying to get the human race to adapt to a different side of him. See, God is Trinity. Can I teach you a little bit here? He's three in one, which I don't quite understand because I'm one in one and not complicated. But he is three parts. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we need to at this Christmas time, and your neighbors and your family needs to move from this general view of God out here. In this place that he doesn't really affect my life specifically. See, if, if you were going to meet me and you'd only met my father, he would be able to tell you a little bit about me. Now, you could see my father and study him, and you would get glimpses into how I think and feel. If anybody's worked with both of us over a long period of time, there are a lot of similarities. And yet, what would my dad say if he, because I'm not like my dad, I'm different. There's a different aspect of him and there's a different aspect to a personal relationship with Jesus than what a lot of people have with, with it's this generic like, okay, I'm, God's kind of cool with me believing whatever about him and he's love and he's, okay, yes, true, but he's also specific. The intentionality to lay down Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the life of Jesus Christ from, from prophets in their day, hundreds of years before Christ came, who had little or basically no contact with each other. They couldn't, Jeremiah couldn't text Isaiah and be like, hey, what are you prophesying about this week? <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. I'm going to, I think I'll throw that into my blog too. See, the human, we look at it, and because we're so deeply flawed, we assume that the scriptures are also deeply flawed as well. But if the Holy Spirit, how else could he connect things like he connected things? And I'm going to show you a list of prophecies that were very specifically announced about Christ and how intentional he was not to be the random God of the universe because he likes sitting on a throne, but to be your Savior and your Lord and to do life with you and to live eyeball to eyeball with you. That's a different God that we need to meet at Christmas time. My father would say about me, that would be different than him, like, he's in a hurry. It's not personal. He's just in a hurry. He's always he's impatient. He wants things to happen. He speaks his mind. And he speaks a lot. <laughs> my dad, if you know my dad, he doesn't say a lot. When he, when he talks, everybody listens because he just doesn't talk that much. And so there's no point in trying to change dad's mind. You can probably change my mind. You can talk me into stuff. I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, if I could just be clear about that. But I'm thinking, you see, you see glimpses of the Father in the Old Testament, and some of you have only had glimpses of God. But what you need this Christmas is a specific relationship with a specific God who has taken care of every part of your life, though you don't see Him there. A specific relationship with a specific God, intentional. Who, who, see, God had to prepare you for meeting Jesus because he was thinking of something much more personal. I, um, I was interviewed today by some business people in town, you know, riding in cars with cars. It was kind of a fun interview in the car. And they were just totally unchurched, just asking about venue church and what was it like starting a church. And I, I love talking to unchurched people because they don't know. And they just ask questions and they got no hang ups about church. And, and uh, did anybody watch that this week? It was kind of fun. <laughs> Do me a favor and share that out because there's, so, there's a huge unchurched community in, in Airdrie. This is our market. This is who we came for. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were just asking, why did you create Venue Church? And I said something like this. It was like, everybody's on this kind of timeline from I don't know if there is a God up to I have a great relationship with God. There are people in the room who are like, I don't know if there is a God. Right over to here. And we created Venue Church to help you move closer is why in a sermon I'm talking to the people with a great relationship with God and to the person over here, and we live in the tension of that. We just think that that's what we're supposed to do. And with all of the confusion about God now, see, you can almost create your own God and serve them, but when you need saving, that won't work. Only Jesus as he is can save you. But what we're, there's so much confusion today about everything, about tolerance, about respect, about acceptance. It's not enough today for me to tolerate you. I actually have to agree with you. It just You're Canadian. That just makes sense to you. Well, what if we believe opposite things? Are we both right? Well, yeah, we're both right. And again, if Warren identifies as a six-year-old unicorn... It's not enough for me to say, oh, that's nice. I actually have to tell him. You are a six-year-old uniform. U- unicorn uniform. Isn't that what I did? And If you've never heard of I appreciate science, a series called Science, Suffering, and Other Problems with God, if you want to know why you're a mess, uh, it's just a Canadian moment that we're in. And I really dig down to logic and the logic of and science behind Christianity. If God created everything, science will back it up. And Christianity can never be af- afraid of the hard questions. Right. If it's true, yeah. what are you afraid of? We're not. Compared to other religions, absolutely. But to say that every religion is true and to say that every belief is equally true, of course not. Four plus four equals something. I think that it equals eight <laughs> most of the time. Unless I'm talking about my budget or something that I want. <laughs> so we get confused in all of these like, philosophical questions about God. But what I think you're going to have to wrestle with is that it has to boil down to this question about your sexuality, about your gender, about everything. It has to boil down to, is there really sin? It has to boil down to this question, I think, for you. I think we just throw out these distracting things because we don't actually have to apply that to our lives. What we're really worried about is that, is that we know us and we think that if God knew us, he probably wouldn't love us. And you're going to have to wrestle with that. That if if God is as holy as the prophet said that he was, why would he hang out with me? What would he want to do with me? Those are the harder questions, but I think that eventually it gets down to there. And when you find a specific Savior who loves you just the way that you are and knows everything about you and still loves you, is not embarrassed by you. Yeah, yeah. Wants to adopt you. Wants to, loves you way too much to not tell you the truth about you, though. Wants to get you connected in community. Wants to get you in a small group. Wants to get you over your addictions and past your fears and your anger. What we're really afraid is that uh, we're afraid of the connection. But I'll tell you that the connection comes when you adapt yourself to Him. Not when you make Him adapt Himself to you. He knows how He created you. He can make you everything that you were purposed to be. You just are trying to make Him into what you thought you wanted in a God. But that couldn't save you. I think that that Christmas should be more about the divine than about the human. We miss the hand of God in it all and the wonder in it all because we think that we're so clever and smart. But as smart as I am, Nobody laughed. I've trained you well. Well done, everybody. I love you today. As smart as we think that we are, we're still never going to be enough to save us. And that's how smart you are and how well you've thought out the universe. It doesn't give you a relationship with God. That's not how relationships work. I want to study the, the prophecies today. We missed the hand of God and all. There, there was a guy, sadly, named Peter Stoner, but he authored a book called "Science Speaks." I'm sorry for his name. If you don't know what that means, your teenagers do. So I should have—I had to say his name, or I would get sued. But he was the um, the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College. I used to live in Pasadena actually when I was a kid. And uh, he and Robert Newman wrote a book called "Science Science Speaks." And they were talking about the statistical improbability of one man fulfilling even as many as eight specific prophecies about himself, whether accidentally or deliberately. Like, is it even possible to... to Specifically prophesy hundreds of years before, if there was some master human plan without the hand of God behind it all, is it even statistically possible to have one person fulfill even as many as eight prophecies specifically about themselves? It would be like somebody 700 years ago prophesying the existence of the city of Airdrie. And not just saying, like, you're going to be, uh, a person is going to be born to save the the human race in the city of Airdrie, but to tell you that, oh, and they're going to be saved in, give me a community in Airdrie. Coopers. And it's going to be in Coopers. Like, before it exists. One prophecy. Now, how can one person, by the hand of man, ever fulfill even as many as eight prophecies? And he, he came up with this here. I'm not a mathematician, but he says, suppose that, We take 10 to the 17 silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. This is the probability that he came up with. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick the right silver dollar. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time providing they wrote using their own wisdom. Right. There's something in this that is the the hand of God. Yeah. There's there's what you're really looking for is not some some vague human connection in this world it helps but you're really looking for a connection with God himself. Yeah. And we talk about some 300 some of them general prophecies written about Christ, but there's somewhere between 45, we believe, and 60 specific prophecies, not just eight, about Christ. Do you want to hear some of them? Yeah. Now, think of it from a human point of view, and, and if you've been in church for 20 years and you already believe what I'm going to tell you, listen, the point of the prophecies, do you think that you've discovered everything there is to know about the Prince of Heaven? You have everything of Jesus that you need. You know everything about His love. You've plumbed the depths of the love of the Son of the living God, have you? You've experienced all the generosity and all the freedom from... No, no, the prophecies still speak to us today. They still tell us of of a world that we've never even seen, no matter how well you think you know Christ. There's unplumbed depth and forgiveness and love and mercy for every single person. Here are some of the prophecies that the Messiah would be born of a woman. That he wouldn't just appear on the scene. Well, don't take that for granted. That he would be born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before, was Bethlehem still going to be there? This is a time of turbulence. You have to understand this. Nations were coming and wiping out cities and nations. And why would Bethlehem still be called Bethlehem? That he would be born of a virgin. Try that one out. If I'm going to make a prophecy and create this religion just to trick a bunch of people, I'm not going to say that. I'd be like, ah, you know, the girl might have, you know, darkish hair. Because she'll be from Israel, so, okay. That he would come from the line of Abraham, that he would come from the line of Isaac, and specifically from the line of Jacob and the tribe of Judah. Uh, That the Messiah would be the heir to King David's throne. So now the line of David. That his throne would be eternal uh, and anointed. That he would be called by the people that he came to, Emmanuel, which means God with us. How can you tell what somebody's nickname is going to be when they show up? (laughs) Hundreds of years later. That he would uh, spend a season in Egypt. How would you know? That a massacre of children would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. Herod, uh, the king, heard that the Messiah was coming from the wise men and he went and he destroyed every child under the age of two in Bethlehem and fulfilled a prophecy. And Ramai you know, Ram- heard the voice of weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. How do you write that without the hand of God? But what does it really mean, the intentionality of it? Are you, are you looking for silver dollars in the world here? The answer is right in front of you, but you have to adapt yourself to the answer. That he would be rejected by his own people. That a a messenger would prepare the way for him. That would be like Elijah. Well, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he wears the same outfit as Elijah. Wears this nasty old camel thing, skin, whatever he was wearing. How could you prophesy that? That he would be a prophet. That he would be declared the son of God. That he would be a Nazarene. From Galilee. How would you know? Wait, wait. Born in Bethlehem, spends a season in Egypt, comes back to Nazarene, like, to Nazareth, I should say. He would bring a light to Galilee, which we read already, that he would speak in parables. I'm just going to skip a whole bunch here because there's 44 of them on my list. He'd be praised by little children, that he would be betrayed, that the price money that he would be sold out for and betrayed would be used to buy a potter's field. That he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. And you wonder if God loves you? Sold for the price of a slave, his life taken like that. Though he had done no wrong, there could be no accusation that could be true of him, because he had never done anything wrong. Sold for 30 pieces of silver, and the proceeds gone to buy a particular field from a particular person. That he would be silent before his accusers. That they would spit upon him and strike him. That he would be crucified with criminals. We're going to read in Isaiah 53 that his hands and feet would be pierced, signifying what death he would die. How do you prophesy that 700 years before Rome was in power? Crucifixion was largely a Roman thing. How do you do that before Rome? How do you know that? I mean, if Rome was in existence, it wasn't big. It wasn't... Are you starting to get a feel for it? There was something about Jesus that when he came, and there's something, I would say to every person in the room, there's something about him that you will be unprepared for. That's why God had to be so specific. Because you still don't know how God thinks and feels. Not really. And until you open your ear to the the prophecies about Christ, you won't know what he's really, really like. How could you know? You just know what you know. He'd be given vinegar to drink. His hands and feet would be pierced. Soldiers would gamble for his garments. Can I stop? I'm at 30-something here. I'm not going to stop. That he would be buried with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, put him in his grave. That soldiers would pierce his side. That he would resurrect from the dead. Try it sometime. Try prophesying that about somebody. Try living that out because somebody got to die. That he would ascend into heaven. That he would be a sacrifice for sin. There was something about meeting the Son of God face to face that you and I weren't going to be ready for. There's something about Jesus and how he wants to appear to you right now here in this place, here at this Christmas time, that you are not going to be ready for unless you listen to what the prophets have to say. In Isaiah 53, this is probably the most powerful prophecy about Christ, to tell you what it was that he intended for you. We're really deeply worried that that there would be no connection with somebody as sinful as us because a holy God and unholy us, how does that even work? And I'm going to show you something about Jesus that if you came as the son of the living God, you would come with a crown on your head, but that's not how he appears to us, is it? Isaiah says, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? What? You're the prince of heaven. Who believed us? Who believed the prophets, he said. Why? Because there's something human about us not wanting a God we can't control. He says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence. He's speaking of Jesus in his presence like a tender green shoot and like a root in dry ground. This was f- fulfilled in Christ's life because there had been 400 years of radio silence in Israel. There had been no prophets for 400 years before Jesus is born. Remember the book of Malachi? God's like, y'all are stealing money from me. I can't even believe this anymore. Can I preach about giving? He's like, you keeping my money in your pocket. I mean, giving our tithe to God is not generosity. It's just not stealing. Thank you, Michael Jr., the comedian. I love that. But there was something about the state of Israel that would gotten so inward-focused and selfish and survivalistic that they were no longer generous to the God who was planning a Savior. 400 years of radio silence, and Jesus appears on the scene like a root in dry ground in the midst of a hardness of heart of Israel. Oh, well, they had all the religious pomp and ceremony, but they didn't have the Son of the living God, and they didn't recognize Him when He came. You can li- live in church your whole life and not recognize Jesus if He'd sit beside you. Somebody comes into church, you're just mad because the carpet gets all dirty. I'm not going to preach about religious people right now. There's nobody here like that. The music's too loud. The music's too quiet. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Don't miss that. Nothing beautiful or majestic when he came. See, he didn't need the glory that came from you. He came to connect with you. You can impress people with your strength, but you connect in your weakness. God sends down his son on a suicide mission in weakness to connect with you. And you wonder if God loves you? Uh, that's not really the question, is it? He always loved you. He was despised and, and it says, and there's nothing to attract us to him. Jesus said of himself, like, I'm like new wine, but if you don't, uh, you got to replace the old wine skin. The old way that you thought about me, you have to replace because the new wine will burst the old wine skin. Then he says something really shocking. He says, and nobody prefers the new wine after they're used to the old wine. He's saying that to you and me. When he comes to reveal himself tomorrow as you read your Bible, you won't prefer it, is what he's saying. There's a new revelation about me tomorrow, but you won't prefer it. You have to know that about yourself. You'll prefer what you know. Even if it's not everything, you'll still prefer it. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Did you hear that? A man of sorrows. See, it's easy to hate a magnificent God. A magnificent God who sees us all in the pain down here and separates himself from it, like Zeus or like the Greek gods. It's easy to hate a God like that. A man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. It's hard to hate a God that suffered more for your suffering than you ever did. You can only suffer suffer as deep as your love goes. And his love for you goes much deeper than that. Try watching your child go through what you've gone through Don't ever say that God didn't suffer right beside you. It's hard to hate a God like that. When you lost your child, God was there. He lost one too. When you were abandoned by your father, he was there. You just couldn't see him. He was abandoned too. When you lost your job, he was there. You just couldn't see him because your eyes just weren't open yet. He was there. When that thing happened to you, he was there and it happened to him too. He was always there. You just didn't know yet. You just weren't prepared for it yet. says, so we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. We always say to God, we always put our problems on God and say, you don't care about me. No, the reality is we don't care about him. He always cared. He was always in on it. The problem was that you weren't. You weren't in on it with him. What about his pain? What about his suffering? Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, our depression, our fear, our loneliness. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, the perfect lamb of God, he did not open his mouth. You never suffered in silence, did you? But he suffered in silence for you. He would not call upon the angels to free him, because if he did, he would lose you. Just the possibility of you being adopted into the family of God in his place. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. The worst thing that could happen in his day happened to him, and no one cared. That his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people, Isaiah says. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's, listen, good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Because if it didn't happen, there was no you in his family. It was the Lord's good plan. When he says, pick up your cross and follow me, he's saying, if you won't pick up your cross and follow me, maybe your neighbor or your brother won't be able to be joined to my family too. Maybe Maybe there's a purpose in your suffering. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will see you. You know, when he was hanging on a cross, it says that he looked ahead and saw you. And that hope, just the hope of a relationship with you, Kept him there. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. Listen, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. I mean, he could be satisfied with you? Yeah. He didn't need you to be God. He just needed you to be you. For many will be count- to be counted righteous, he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels and he bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. You and me. I think this Christmas time, come on up guys. I don't have a lot to finish this year. I think this Christmas time, we think of prophecy as this thing that you couldn't do, but if prophecy is is only to prepare you to meet Jesus as he is, don't you see that that's what you do? To the people around you? People have all sorts of opinions and ideas of, of God, but they've never met Him as He is because they were unprepared for it by the people that came before them or the people they grew up with or the people in their lives right now. But if you're in their life, what if that's your job is to bring a little bit of a spirit of prophecy at Christmas time? to help somebody who's hurting at Christmas time with the same love and compassion of Jesus when they're like, I'm alone and where was God? You can say, but God was there. Yes. You, can't, you just couldn't see him because I couldn't see him and the most powerful thing you have is just your story. I couldn't see him, but when I finally did see him, he was there. Yes. Yes. I just didn't know him because nobody had prepared me for him. And would you just give that gift to somebody this Christmas? It could be a son or daughter in your house. Give them the gift of God being a man of sorrows and acquainted with their deepest grief. Father, I pray for a real-time, real-life experience with our Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas, Father. For those of us who have been in the faith for a long time, there's so much more of you whose depths we have never plumbed and grace and mercy that we have never received. There's so much more praise and honor we could give you that we don't know. There's so many more people we could connect. And for the one Father who's wondering if there is a God, I pray that we would take all of the philosophies and we would just set them aside and meet you and then see where it goes.